It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for your Boston Celtics. I'm your host, Justin Poole, and with me, as always, John Duke and the Celtics on a three-game skid, John. Now, I predicted the Pelicans loss. I think you predicted a 3-0 and super optimism week like uh, you're known to do this season, uh, but... I definitely did not predict a three-game skid. I think I predicted the skid about two and a half weeks ago. Felt like they were due for that. And we did say there was some foreboding along the way about getting time off and how they would do trying to get back into a rhythm. And sometimes that rigorous schedule keeps the team on a string defensively. Defense, I do believe, has been an issue over the three uh, games that have been put into the loss column. Now the team has to hit the road for a West Coast swing. Wouldn't it be interesting if they did a, a 7-0 and streak, then kind of had this weird gap in the overseas trip, come back, take a three-game skid in the loss column, then head out West and start a winning streak again? It would just defy all logic, but... We have known, and I don't want to say these Brad Stevens teams because of any correlation to Brad, but just simply since Brad took over, it has always seemed like they've played better on the second night of back-to-backs. Like, the more rigorous the schedule, the more they've responded to adversity, the more time off, the more they sort of fall out of that defensive prowess that they're known to have, which is foreshadowing to some commentary from Isaiah Thomas, which we'll also get on, get to a little bit later in the show. I, yeah, well, look, I mean, I think that one thing that we've seen is, yeah, the time off doesn't seem to uh, help them. The rest is it's really more rust for the Celtics. And so you look at what they've gone through, one game in 10 days. Now they've lost three in a row here over the last week with ample amounts of, of rest in between those three games. Uh, lots of practice time. Not the against three really easy teams. Teams that should be, you know, really, you know, ones that should be in the win column. You know, when you're looking at it. So, yeah, I think that there's an issue. I think it's a, it's a it's a, a, a momentum issue, a continuity issue. You know, things are going well. You take this huge break off, and now it's like, okay. We got to find ourselves. Uh, certainly, Kyrie missing the second of those three games kind of you know, shook things up even more so. Um, and they're just having a really hard time moving the ball. The ball is sticking. It's not going side to side. They're having a hard time getting things out. I mean, there was a lot of complaints on um, on Monday or 
let's see, Tuesday night against, against uh, the Pelicans where, you know, there was a lot of ISO ball and some blown, you know, kind of one-on-one ISO situations, Rozier, you know, Kyrie kind of taking those shots quickly. And then there was some criticism online, like, well, it's too much ISO ball, too much hero ball. Then the next night or the next game against Philly, you know, similarly, the Celtics aren't able to pull it out. Ball sticking again, and Jalen Brown says, I think appropriately, he's like, you know, we needed Kyrie to help us move the ball. So it's not all on Kyrie. This is this is a team-wide malaise that they're having a hard time figuring out how to play together again offensively. Uh, defensively, they've played well for much of this, uh, I think the two of the three games, uh, but against, you know, Orlando, just a, a really bad performance. You see that sometimes. Those Saturday, Sunday afternoon games, Brad likes them, but I don't think the team does. I think kind of messes with their momentum and when they're trying to establish something maybe the thing they most need out of all things is to get on the road and start playing some games in some hostile situations that might be exactly what they need right now it's interesting you talk about their road success because they really have had much success on the road and i looked at a stat during the broadcast today on marcus morris's free throw shooting percentage home and away and he really was very pedestrian at home, but lights out on the road, and he, he then went on to miss a free throw shot just as they were, like, flaring up that stat on the screen. So it's kind of interesting. I do expect them to pick it back up. I mean, a three-game losing streak, just too much pride on this team to be able to withstand that. The hero ball complaint is real. And even when you look at that game going into overtime, they were kind of lucky to get there, to be honest with you. I mean, that was not their best performance. Defensively, I know you're talking about the ball sticking and they're not moving it around, but defensively, lots of breakdowns. The communication isn't there the same way. Um, I definitely saw players, you know, not switching or getting lost on defense. Seems like teams were able to go right up the gut. And you watch this Sunday matinee game. Like you said, they don't seem to like those early afternoon games. They had to squeeze it in before the Patriots matchup, which, by the way, took one from their playbook and one that the Celtics had been adopting and came back from behind in the fourth quarter. Seems like at least one of our teams had to pull that off today. But Sunday's game, you look at, you look at Orlando and I just thought they got out quicked and out hustled. You know, we've yeah. seen that happen a couple of times. Probably something similar that happened against Philly, although that wasn't exactly a pretty brand of basketball and I didn't get to see much of the game. I only got to see highlights because of the blackout here in Pennsylvania. So I'm not going to be an expert on that Philly game, but I know how athletic they are. I know how much they hustle and with Kyrie not available to face off against them, I could see how the way that they played on Tuesday and the way that they played on Sunday, that it probably looked very similar against Philly as it did against Orlando with just a little bit of quickness and finding ways to get to the rim. I mean, look at Alfred Payton on Sunday. I mean, he was just carving him up defensively. He looked like what Kyrie usually looks like against our opponents. Yeah, I, I thought – you know, in the, against the magic, it was really, you, you nailed it. It was, it was an effort issue. It was, they were just quicker to the ball. They were quicker to everything. And the Celtics were a step slow all day long. You know, I, against Philly, um, yeah, I mean, I think that was definitely part of it. I felt like that, that Philly had kind of an out for the Celtics, that they, 
wanted to show the Celtics. Lost three, and they only had one more shot at it. So, you know, you take Kyrie out of the equation, and you put a little drive into the equation from that team wanting to prove themselves. And they are climbing up above 500. I mean, they're certainly getting it together. Yeah, but but it's also, you you gave up a 22-point lead, and you've had a long flight home and a, many, many days to be thinking about the fact that you gave up that lead to that team and you were going to play them a week later. You know, so I think that that had a lot to do with it is in terms of psychologically, I mean, the, the type of defense they were playing, I mean, they're playing up on the ball the, almost the whole game. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was, there was one team that really wanted that win a whole lot more than the other. And I think you could say the same of, was true of the Magic game. The Magic felt like they came into this game and they, they could come in and steal one. It was like the old Celtics of, uh, of, of the early years of the Brad Stevens era where, you know, look, we're just going to win. We're going to work harder than you and we're going to steal the win no matter how ta- more talented you are than we are. And sure enough, that's what happened on Sunday. So it's, I think that there's that issue. You know, the other issue, the, the Kyrie issue, I mean, I think it's a laziness and it's a, you know, they're going to be challenged when they go on the West Coast. They got the Clippers, they got the Lakers, and they got, of course, Golden State on Saturday. Maybe they're looking ahead. Maybe they're thinking about that next trip. I know Gordon Hayward's already flown out to the West Coast, judging by his Instagram account. So, you know, they're, they're already working on, on West Coast time at this point. I think that that's maybe where some of this goes and, We'll see this week as they go into those games on the West Coast if, you know, now they've kind of got themselves back in focus and ready to start playing some real NBA basketball once again. Yeah, it'll be interesting how that might influence the NBA trade deadline, too, which is fast approaching. Um, I'd say by next week's show, we're going to have some meat to start discussing some rumors, I'm sure. Right now, it's all just hypothesis, theories, and these are the guys that sort of make sense. But I think some stuff's going to start filtering out. I would be surprised if the Celtics did not use that exception for this season. And so um, as we get closer, I'm sure something's going to pop up. Real quick, we're going to tell everybody, remind you that you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS Media Network is at CLNS Media. The Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans. And download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. Finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report with, what did I name him last year? I mean, last week? What was it? Jimmy, good, Jimmy times, good Times. Jimmy, Jimmy Good Times Toscano. <laughs> I know Nick got a total kick out of that. He loved it. <laughs> yeah, he really did. But Trags is on there. Nick is on there, and so's Josue Pavone, all on the Garden Report. The Roundtable is on that YouTube channel as well with a fan favorite of ours, or we're fans of, Sam Sheehan. So you got to check that out as well. So, John, there's there's all of that trade deadline. I'm going to leave that just out of reach for today's show, I think. But I want to make one other comment about or the game against Orlando, which is, to say that you and I have been huge fans of Marcus Smart, huge fans, and I'm not going to let one game get in the way. But there are times, I think, when this team, he can make an impact when they're not doing well defensively and does many, many nights, right? And that versatility, 
and his strength, et cetera. But offensively, when they start to struggle, he can occasionally force things. And that third quarter was a perfect example of what can go wrong with Marcus Smart. And specifically, um, he had a couple of turnovers where he just stepped out of bounds kind of negligently. I think there were two of those. One of them might have occurred in the fourth quarter, though. And then also where he kind of drove into traffic and tried to force a pass and literally threw it right into the hands of the Orlando Magic. That happened twice. And really, at one of them especially, at a pivotal moment in the game where they were really trying to get that carved down to single digits again, or down to 12, I think it was. And they made their run in the fourth quarter like they always do, but just not able to get close enough and really quit on it with about 30 seconds to go in the game. I mean, I realize it probably was out of hand, but it was very interesting to see them roll over for probably the first time on the air. Yeah, I, you know, I, you know, it's, it's a question about Marcus Smart and, and where, you know, this is a team right now that needs ball movement. It's a ball. It's a team that needs somebody to be that catalyst to push things through. And Marcus is still a young player, but he's, you know, he's reaching the end of his rookie deal. This is the time when you need him to become the stable force, the, the, the reliable guy in that team who can, who can, you know, take the, the peaks and valleys out of it. And unfortunately, Marcus kind of accentuates some of those peaks and valleys at times. That's kind of, he, he can't find that, that middle ground. He's the one who spurs the comeback or sometimes shoots them out of, uh, you know, some, some situations. So he has to somehow find that balance right now. And, and I, I'd hope for a little bit more growth in that area. I think he's doing great on the pick and roll. I think he's, I think he does a great job in kind of managing situations generally, but I think, he needs to be become that guy where the star players are, the types of players who are being paid what he wants to be paid this summer and, and in the future. He has to be able to say, look, um, I need to be able to be a reliable source for my team. You know, if I want $20 million a year, I could be someone this team can rely upon. And right now, he's a catalyst, but he's not the rely upon guy. I mean, he can play good defense. But is he the guy who give the ball to? He'll find the guy. He'll he'll sell everybody down. I'm not sure he's that guy right now. And I think to be that twenty million dollar a year guy that I think he wants to be, he's got to get to that point. Well, the guy who has been the man who's allowed them to move that ball around and has been knocking down shots, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the real surprise X factor that at times has been able to give this team offense when they need it has been Jason Tatum. I think it's time we ask the question, though, based on recent events and recent performances, has Jason Tatum hit the rookie wall? Because I think he was shooting around 35, 36% in the last several games. I'm not saying that's horrible, but even the number of attempts he got against the Pelicans was really, really low in terms of shot attempts. And we don't see him go into the rim the way that he was. I'm sure some people will say that the defenses of the opponents are, have sort of figured out how to game plan against that, but I'm calling hogwash. Would like to see Horford a little bit more involved in the offense, and I think that's where that ball movement 
movement really should begin the way it started at the earlier in the year was Horford was a big time playmaker. And I don't think we see the offense running through him. He's sitting that high screen for Kyrie, but the pick and roll is not as smooth as it was. And Tatum was the beneficiary of a lot of that. Now also, as you and I talked about preparing for this, he had that dislocated pinky. And since then, he hasn't been able to really knock down that outside jumper. His three-point percentage fallen off quite dramatically. Although I'd say it's understandable, how come we don't see him generating as much offense right around the rim as we did? You know, some of that shake and bake that he has to set up his ability to drive is missing. And and we can ta- we can tag that on to Jalen Brown a little bit later because they kind of work in tandem. Every time we have a conversation about one, we've got to talk about the other, it seems. But as far as Tatum, do you think he's hitting a rookie wall? Are you going to just chalk it all up to the pinky finger? Or do you just think that, that opponents have schemed against him to try to limit his impact? It's a, it's a good question. I, I I think the pinky finger is you have to look at that as as a potential um, you know source of of some of this at least. Uh, so he injured the finger on the twenty first. It's only spent exactly a month since then. So he had before that point he had two good months of NBA basketball where he's shooting about fifty percent from three. Since it hurts the finger, it's about thirty five percent. Could it be defenses are, are challenging him better or respecting his shot more, playing more attention to him on the def- on the three-point line? Perhaps. But let me go to some other numbers here. So since the first of the year, so they've had six games in that time. Not a great span. I, I, I mark, you know, I'll say so. But in that time, in those six games, Tatum has only gone to the free throw line, this is hard to believe, ten times. Ten times. He had ten free throws this month so far. So now, and before that, he had six t- attempts against Brooklyn. He went to the line 11 times in that in that great comeback against the Rockets a couple days after Christmas. Charlotte, he had six times. Washington, six times. So he, he he's not getting to the line. He's not being aggressive in either taking the ball to the rack and getting, getting to the line. Um, and his three point shot has, you know, kind of struggled. Now, if you take out an 0 for 4 that he shot against Minnesota about a week and a half ago, the percentage gets a lot better. But having said that, that, you know, you've had, those are the kind of peaks and valleys you see of, of shooting and, and why you kind of balance these things out over a long spell. So I think that there is some rookie wall situations. I think that may be why we saw the Celtics sign Jarrell Eddy, um, a shooter, um, to maybe be something of, um, a guy they can throw in there if they need shooting and, and Tatum isn't getting it done. And, you know, today he, you know, he, against the, the magic, he puts up 30, almost 37 minutes, you know, so it doesn't seem like Brad is, is taking minutes away from him. It seems like he's still getting a great sum of minutes, but the production isn't there. And it's just, he's not getting the line. He's not getting the shots he needs. And particularly, I think to me, and I don't know about how you feel, but a game against like Philly, you don't have Kyrie in the game. That's the opportunity where we need to feed him the ball. We need to get him opportunities. He only got 11 shots against Philly. He only got four shots, you know, he only got six shots against. In a game without Kyrie, that's the other thing. There was plenty of shots to go around for Jason. And so do you think that's an aggressiveness issue? I mean, you mentioned Jarrell Eddy and I don't want to dive into that too much except to say that I thought Jared Weiss explained that perfectly. They've got some guys on two-way contracts that can only use 45 games each and they're trying to save them for down the stretch and headed up towards the playoffs. So they can sign Jarrell Eddy to two 10-day contracts leading 
up to the trade deadline and then really take stock of where they're at at that point. So I thought Jared really laid that out perfectly, and I think that is the reasoning for it. But they do want shooters. They want guys who can space the floor so he fits well. But do you think that Jason just lost some of his aggressiveness? I mean, is that what you think you're seeing? Because when you talk about shots being able to go around in that Philly game, like I said, I didn't get to see it because of the blackout. It takes three days, and with all the other sporting events this weekend, I didn't get a chance to catch up before the show. Do you think that's aggressiveness? Do you think that's where the concern is? Well, you know, Mike, Mike Gorman mentioned it in, in, in the Magic game. And he, you know, the thing that he said was, it seems like it, it takes a while for Jason to get going in the game. Now, I think that that speaks to a general motivational factor. I don't think that, and I don't, he's not saying that over the next, over the, you know, the last couple of weeks. I think he's saying generally over the course of his, you know, early NBA career, it seems like it's about motivation. It's about, you know, Saying ready to play makes but it sound like that he's the, not ready to play. Isn't that, that the rookie wall? Isn't that exactly no. it? Like, no, no, no. no, 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 no. Just listen. Hold on. Just let, let me. So, just that general, always having to be on. Right. So he's making all of his shots early on. You know, it takes him a little while to get going, et cetera, et cetera. But when it, that is the case, and then all of a sudden the shots aren't falling. It makes it even harder. And so the minute you face that adversity or maybe the shot isn't falling because of an injury or maybe it's because of conditioning or maybe it's because of so many games at such a crazy pace, isn't that – I mean, the rookie wall I don't necessarily think is just more games than in college basketball or just the fact that you get fatigued from all this increased travel and, you know, the schedule and the routine is more rigorous or different or, you know, more playing time. I think some of it's mental too. I mean, the rookie wall can probably present itself based on the individual player for multiple multitudes of different reasons. And I think maybe in this case the pinky threw him off. So he lost a little bit of confidence, and I think his rookie wall may be a lot more mental than it is physical. I think, yeah, no, I think that's right. And how how many times has he had, or how many opportunities has he actually had to kind of assess his his place in this in this league? I mean, he really has not had that opportunity to kind of say just had okay, a lot of nights off to let that set in, right? Well, yeah, but, but I mean, that was a yeah, lot. Yeah, but you're of, not sitting watching. I mean, Jalen had. Jalen sat back and watched a lot. I mean, we, we talk a lot about why he's not playing enough, why he's not out there. I mean, Jason has had, apart from the, the Philly game at Philly where it became, you know, obviously things got crazy there and the Pelicans game, he hasn't played under 30 minutes. Uh, and, and, and the last time he played under 30 minutes was against Utah middle of, of December. I mean, he's, <laughs> they're feeding more minutes, 37, almost 37 minutes against Philly. He's, they're giving him the opportunities, but, um, at least in terms of shots, it's not kind of uh, coming through. And, and, and the other point to that is accepting uh, today's game. Okay. Of the last, uh, seven games he's had uh, in terms of plus minus five of those seven have been minus, you know, on the minus side. So, it, you know, he's, he's not on, you know, successful units. Five out of the seven last, again, plus minus has its own kind of, uh, limitations. As, yeah. Yeah. But it, but it's, it's a measure that things are not going as well on, with him on the floor as it had been. And, and so, and that's yet another reason where you're right. Maybe it is, he has hit the wall, but in, in a, in a mental, uh, aspect, not necessarily physically being too demanding. And I think that that's, that's probably what you'd want to see, right? You'd want to see a guy who physically maybe isn't there mentally, hasn't quite figured it out, but 
you know, at, has at his age, of to to get there mentally, and I think that's okay. Yeah, at his age, you'd much rather have the mental stuff of his adjustment to the game versus the physical stuff that you saw with like a Jared Sullinger, right? I mean, yep. that's yep. that's really what you're saying, but he's right. far more. Um, far more promising in that regard because obviously there's a mental adjustment for every player and he could snap out of it just as easily. So I have another theory on what might be going on with the team. So we'll hit that right after this. But first we need to tell you about DraftKings hoops fans because basketball season is more than halfway through and your favorite hardwood heroes have been in action for quite some time. So if you haven't already, it's time for you to put your fantasy knowledge to the test to win huge cash prizes every night playing one-day fantasy basketball at DraftKings.com. At DraftKings, there are so many ways to play. Choose from public contests with huge cash prizes or private contests where you can compete against your friends. And they've even got beginner and casual contests where you'll play against people of a similar skill set. The best part, you get to draft a new team each day, and drafting is not arguably... It is the best part of fantasy. The only thing that's better is winning cash doing it. Just ask Dan from St. Louis or Jeremy from Austin. They both turned a $3 entry into 1,000 smackaroos. Huge cash prizes and bragging rights await only at DraftKings. Use the code CLNS at DraftKings.com. Free for your fir- with your first deposit for your share of $10,000 in total prizes tonight. Don't wait. Use code CLNS at DraftKings.com now to choose your lineup, and you can seriously cash in. Again, that's code CLNS at DraftKings.com, the game inside the game. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. And, John, so here's my theory. My theory is that this team didn't get a chance to practice, so everything was kept very simple in the early going. And I wonder how many wrinkles Brad wanted to throw in there so that they could increase sort of their versatility offensively and defensively so they weren't showing the same things to uh, to opponents, not only down the stretch, but then heading into the playoffs and so that he may be trying to advance a little bit. And then with with those new wrinkles and that practice – uh, an increased practice time because of the downtime between games that that actually has thrown the team's rhythm off a little bit because they're trying to do new things. Now, I'm not really that adept at pointing and picking that stuff out and whether or not they've used it in a game. So this is really just a hypothetical, but I thought I would get your take on that theory as well. I think, I think you're, I think that's very fair. I mean, you look at how many days of practice they had, from the time before the Philly trip and, and, and Gordon Hayward's injury, right? Brad had, <laughs> he had months, weeks to figure out an offense centered around Kyrie Irving, Gordon Hayward, <laughs> and Al Horford. Like that, <laughs> it's gone, right? And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with a 19-year-old forward, uh, a 21 or 20 at that point year old swingman and Jalen Brown as core pieces, and and you tear off this incredible win streak, and you get going, you get going, the momentum is going, and eventually, you know, you you make that work, but you're going on fumes, and you're not really able to incorporate what you're seeing and what you're doing into really a, a new picture of offensive packages and, and the like, so. I think that's fair to say. The one thing we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I and I want to go back to it a little bit, is that you know the the, the out of timeout plays that 
had become had become really a, a staple of Brad's kind of early coaching career with the Celtics have not been as sharp. And it's not that Brad Stevens is a different coach. You know what I mean? There's something else going on, and I don't know if it's because there's so many young players, so many p- players who are not even veterans who know the game as well as the veterans that stacked, you know, these older rosters, whether it's Zeller or, or uh, you know, Evan Turner and IT and Jay. Those guys knew the game. They knew what to do. You've got so many rookies on this roster. Maybe it's, it's you know, those things haven't worked out. So putting those two things together, your theory and, you know, that kind of uh, what we saw collectively as you know, some of those out-of-timeout plays not working as successfully as we see in the past, perhaps that's kind of what's going in is Brad's trying to buttress what he's seeing right now uh, and trying to make this uh, a bit more of a robust play-calling package for this team. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know if that's the case, but it's a sound theory in my mind. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's some meat to it. It's just that, and we've, we've seen this team before it was really this team, <laughs> another version of this team hit that, hit some sort of a weird funk right around January 1st, right? That's happened several seasons in a row that that seems to just be like either late holiday or post holiday doldrums that they run into. So, they've always had a fairly rigorous schedule to start the season, maybe not quite like as far ahead that they were on the pace of every other team this year. I mean, basically they just caught the Warriors just caught up to them and they had to play one game in so many, many nights for that to happen and for them to be on the same kind of schedule. So there you go. But Let's move on. I want to hit three more topics before we wrap in about 15 minutes. I definitely want to talk about Isaiah Thomas's quotes after a pretty horrific loss to the Thunder the other night that Cleveland suffered. I also want to talk from earlier in the week, another former point guard's quotes from Rajon Rondo after the game, uh, after the Pelicans game, that loss, uh, about Isaiah and tied into Paul Pierce's night coming up here not too long. And then obviously we got to preview the week ahead. We've got games on the road, Lakers and Clippers. That's a, a back-to-back on ways. And then two nights off and the Saturday matchup against the Warriors. So, you pick your poison. Where do you want to start? We got about five <laughs> minutes for each topic, and we're going to go bingo, bango, bongo. Let's start with it. I think it is the place to start. Um, I, I, and I and I'll start with what I saw this morning, which was uh, a lot of you know. Obviously, they're counting, you know, and then this morning being Sunday morning, a lot of complaints by Cavs players about the fact that they're not. Uh, well, let me start with this. IT starts out complaining because they're not playing defense like the Boston Celtics team I'm used to playing on a year ago. Now, how is that? First of all, that's not going to be perceived well by his teammates who largely it basically work together. says, I just wish I was with right. the Celtics still after I said I hate them, but now I'm getting all drawn in right. because they almost gave me a share <laughs> in Paul Pierce's night and now everything's all good. Right. So, so we got that whole thing. And then, you know, they're so, so the, all the Cavs players now, they're all upset because it's like, what has this guy done? He, you know, he was on the other side. He's saying the old guys are, his old team's better. And what, what kind of came up The grass today really is, is greener in Boston. It is. It is. <laughs> but the, you know, they're saying today, he's like, well, uh, David McManaman, uh, of ESPN says, well, the other players aren't really, they were listening to, to IT before he, when he was hurt because he wasn't on the court. Now that he's on the court, his deficiencies defensively are what, 
uh, are causing players to, to not listen to him as much. Wait a second now. That Cleveland team has been horrendous defensively all season long. This is not a new phenomenon. It's like, oh, oh yeah, IT's the problem. Yeah, the five foot nine point guard's the problem. Like, dude, you guys have been terrible all year. Like, what are you talking about? You're gonna point, they're gonna point this on him. I honestly, the whole experience of IT being over there in Cleveland from the trade to today, he has been slandered and it's been terrible. The treatment by the, the Cleveland Cavaliers organization on the whole has been horrendous. And there's nice photos on Instagram and LeBron and all that. Oh yeah, we're all together. But it, the overall messaging around the team from, from the slander thrown, the, the way of how bad his hip was before the deal was done to now, you know, basically unnamed sources ripping apart his defense as they're trying to pull this together. And then, oh, by the way, all these trade rumors about sending him out for George Hill, who is a, not as good a player, not even close, or, or DeAndre Jordan. It's like, it, and somehow it's all IT's fault. Look, it's crazy, man. And, and I think it's, it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate because the guy deserves, deserves a lot better than that. It makes me wonder what's going to happen next offseason. I mean, you could, you could almost see him get traded and cut. Seriously, think about it. If Cle- Cleveland's married to him, if they keep him, but if think about this this crazy theory that I'm about to blow your mind with, right? Isn't it possible that he gets included in some sort of a trade to a failing team, right? So that Cleveland bolsters their lineup because they decide to sell on Isaiah, and then the team that gets him just cuts him for the cap savings, and all of a sudden that eight plus million the Celtics bring him back in a bench role behind Kyrie. Well, so that's – I had this this debate today on that very same idea with Snotty Drippin. Oh, so uh, I'm not James, the only James mad Thomas. scientist because he no. clearly wants to come home. We he had, wants we had back in Boston. We had this very same conversation, and, and I was on that side of it. I think it's possible. I think Ainge would not in any way bat an eyelash about trying to reacquire IT. I don't not if he, IT's it, willing to take the money look, he has available. He's not he going to bring out the Brinks truck, but he'll definitely be willing to bring him back. Boston loves him. It could be like the Antoine Walker game. Do you remember right. when Walker came back? And it was yeah, just and, for the playoff right. run, and then he was off on his own again, and he didn't stick around. That's probably how this would go down. And you want to talk about bad blood, right? Like, think about think about I mean, when Antoine was walking out of town. He called Danny Ainge a snake. Okay, I mean, and then yeah, they did not love each later, other. He went out and, and reacquired him for a playoff run. So Ainge doesn't hold these things personal. He doesn't. He doesn't get emotionally attached. He doesn't say, "Oh, I'm not going to get that guy." If he can help, if this guy can help me win, and he'd be a positive asset on my team, I'll do it. Now, there's a question of fit. There's a question of is that the right move? Does it block, you know, Rozier or whatever? That's possible, but. I think, you know, the question is then, would IT want to sign here? I think he could trade for him. I'm not sure he'd sign here as a free agent just because of what happened. But maybe I'm wrong. Not in the offseason, but if he got traded and ultimately cut because Cleveland was making a total shift, they decided to sell early, knowing they're not – I mean, they could use his salary and yet another one of their – I mean, I don't know. Maybe a team would be willing to take their first round pick and gamble on the fact that LeBron's going to leave and that they're going to go back into the cellar of the NBA. Like you think about it, their first round picks in the past haven't had any value and they've traded almost right. all of them away. So this would be, I think, a pretty few. I haven't done the math. I haven't looked at it. 
but I'm assuming that you'd have to go a couple of years into the future for them to actually still own a pick. Um, cause how many picks have they traded to bolster? But you package IT in a pick to a team, pull in somebody who can help them on the playoff run that they think is a better fit alongside LeBron. The whole thing cashes out and then, you know, there's, there's money to be saved, right? So they just cut IT. I, I definitely think they would use this exception to bring him back. I agree with you though. I don't see a multi-year deal for Isaiah in the offseason. Well, I, I think that they're, yeah. And, and, you know, with the DPE, the Celtics can pay up to $8 million for somebody. So he would love that right. to finish out the year on a playoff run right. with the number one he team can, in the East. Right. Someone, so let's say he goes to, if he goes to the Clippers, okay, let's say he's in the DeAndre Jordan deal. You buy that, that whole trade thread. If he goes to the Clippers, Clippers are probably going to keep him because they're kind of in the playoff hunt. So that's not going to happen. Now, they'd have to keep him. Sacramento, why would they keep him? There's no reason to do it. They're trying to tank, trying to get as low, you know, they, they, they don't, they, I say tank. They don't have their own, they have, they have a chance to get their own pick. But if they have ad IT, that's not helping them. Okay. So you need to, you need to, get, you need to cut him loose. So in that case, then you got IT on the, on the, on the, you know, buyout market. It feels like that's too good to be true, but you're sitting with $8 million. He's already got 6 million in his pocket because he got bought out. That could work. You need offense. You need shooting. You need scoring. Would he accept a bench role? He would with the Celtics to finish out a playoff run because he wants to win more than anything else. I agree. And what, are, and what do the Celtics need? They need a playmaker who can score on the bench on the second unit. I mean, you have to understand he's not going to be running mano a mano with Kyrie in that starting unit, unit, and he's not going to be closing games like he did before, but he could come in as a total spark plug to just generate instant offense with the second unit. He'd give him a couple of miraculous playoff performances that would yeah. really vault the Celtics and and honestly, what what he may not be doing for Cleveland in the postseason, he could he could do for Boston potentially. Does he kill his his potential future value of a contract in doing that? You know what I mean? If you say okay, nope, he's they a just bench want to player, see him healthy. And is no way. He, no, is I'm he, already cutting hold on, you off. Let me, hold on. Let me let me just let me just get this point because. He's a sixth man now, right? That's been the knock on him his whole career. He's just a sixth man. He's the guy off the bench, comes in and gets points. That's it. Is that all he, if he, that's, he has to come back here. He can't make it in no, Cleveland. Listen, he he doesn't make it in Phoenix. Doesn't make it in Sacramento the That's first not time the around. issue. That's not the issue. The issue is health. Everybody knows now after last season that this kid can be a starter on a team. Is he going to be a starter? No, listen, listen. He's not going to necessarily make the max. He's not necessarily a starter on a championship caliber team, but a sixth man on an NBA championship team. Yep. Or yep. at least an NBA finalist, you know, those right. guys leave those teams all the time and go be starters on a 500 level team and get paid. Maybe not the max, but get paid well. And he definitely could go earn that money. I don't think it hurts. I think what he needs to do is he needs to be on a team that plays deep enough in the postseason so that he actually proves that he's healthy. Think about how much time he hasn't played this year. And now he's still trying to shake the cob- cobwebs off and get healthier and healthier. He comes in, he plays deep, he gets that. That many games under his belt. He lights the world on fire in a couple of epic performances, and then he goes into the offseason trying to get a contract. I think it's totally feasible. I think that there are the biggest problem that Isaiah has, even maybe, well, the second biggest issue he has aside from health is who's going to pay him. There are a lot of point guards in this league right now. They're making a lot of money. 
And so finding that spot where a team is going to be willing to write a check, a big check, 25 plus million a year, 23 million to plus a year, um, that's a lot. And if he has to get cut by a team and turn that in, and you know, let's say it's Sacramento. Well, no, all right. I see where we, you're going. Let's just cut to the chase, right? At okay. the end of the day, now you're thinking, can we get him on a fairly reasonable deal next season? No, 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 and no, so, no. No, no, just no, think about it. No, you get him with a deal. That's no, not listen, all what I'm saying. You, what I'm saying. No, no, no. What I'm saying you're is saying he's no going to go to a him. team that if he's such, if he's so valuable on that team, let's say Sacramento, to keep him, sign him to a contract, but they can't, right? So they're going to cut him loose, but he's going to go to Boston and then he's going to sign for eight million and then he's going to be back on the market to sign with another team that was Let not much different question. than the one that just cut him loose. Marcus, like it, it seems Marcus like smarter, Marcus smarter Isaiah Thomas. I take I take it. Uh huh. Of course. And and listen, yeah. all he's going to yeah. do is leave town for a little bit and come back, and then realize what he is. You know, he can well, test the waters this summer, yeah. and then he finds out that what you just said is true. That there's not enough money for him. There's a ton of point guards out there. He's aging. The health questions. Yada 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 yada. He gets double to you know. 250% of his uh, previous salary with the Celtics to be a bench guy. And he comes at the same cost as Marcus Smart. You let Marcus Smart go, boom, done. You got your bench scorer, and that's the, and, and, and it's all, it's all happy. I think that could happen. Listen, we have almost no time left. So we've got to, we've got to talk about the quotes from Rondo. I'm just going to say this. It really has nothing to do with Isaiah. It was just really the, the meat of the quote was what, what is that what we play for now? Is that what this, is that what this city's about? Man, there is no question in my mind why Kevin Garnett loved Rajon Rondo. Because those two think and act the same way. Or, no, they think the same way and they act differently in the outward appearance. But, man, dude, that that is what it's all about. That's a championship attitude, even if Rondo hasn't won one or really sniffed it since he left Boston. It, Yeah, you know, I, I think one thing that's unfortunate about all this is that it somehow became this, well, you're either with IT or you're with Pierce. And it just, it's dumb. The whole thing is dumb. I, I, I really, I'm kind of, I think it's stupid because I think it's disrespectful to one of them when you pick that side, right? I mean, somehow you can't somehow appreciate what Paul Pierce did here for 15 years and, and simultaneously say, you know, listen, IT took this team from being nothing, not a playoff team, to basically becoming a team that was challenging for the Eastern Conference title last year. That was that was IT. IT was the engine that powered that. And yes, it was Brad. And yes, there was you know, I, Danny had parts of that. But like you can't you, you can't like somehow say, well, you know, one is doesn't matter. We were in the depths. Rondo knows better. He do, you know, and maybe that's kind of salty on his part because he should have been doing what IT was doing, but he didn't have the capacity at that point in his career. IT powered this team. He got them so they could get Al Horford, so they could sign you know Gordon Hayward. And to somehow like not respect that is is I think unbelievable. I think that's crazy. I think you can do that and respect Paul Pierce. Um, but the larger point remains: is that what we we're about? No, we are about the bigger thing. But the type of people who have gotten video tributes: <laughs> Kelly Olynyk, Tony Allen, uh, <laughs> Scalabrini. I mean, come on! What are we it's all part here? of the recruiting effort. It's all seconds. part of showing the other teams what it's like to be here in Boston, yeah. and, and it's a strategy, and it's a good strategy, and it's worked. Quite frankly, it's worked very well. So let's say let's let's preview the week. We literally have a minute. Uh, to do this. 
I'm just going to tell you, I'm actually predicting 3-0. and I think they're going to beat the Golden State Warriors. I think a good old back-to-back, I think a good old back-to-back on the road is exactly what this team needs. Then they'll have uh, two nights off to kind of get rested, but not enough that they lose their mojo and they actually surprise the Warriors. I think this is, this team is, is headed into bipolar mode, uh, and that's how they're going to operate. So I'm going to go three and oh. What's your call? We literally have 30 seconds. There's no money on it. I'm going one and two. I think they can't get the Clippers and they can't get the Golden State Warriors. They'll beat the Lakers. They just, they got to turn this around. Maybe you're right. Maybe they'll be schizophrenic and completely go the other way, but I just don't see them going into Golden State and winning there three years in a row. It's, I just don't see it happening. <laughs> 7-0, and 0-3, 3-0. I'm just telling you. You got it. They wind up being, you know, 10-3 and 3 in their last 13. That, this, this team is, is just so wildly unpredictable all of a sudden. It's fantastic. So that's going to do it for this week's show. The broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember, you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and for my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poulin. Thank you for listening to another edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live.